Hey guys, welcome back to Staying Connected, a podcast where I talk to other people with vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, or VEDS, which I also have. This is Katie, your host, and today I have a very special guest all the way from New Zealand. Um, Lucy is going to tell us about her story with VEDS. Hey, Lucy. Hi. I cannot believe that we can do this call from all the way across the world. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So you yourself have VEDS? Yes, yeah. I um, am positive for VEDS, yeah. And how old are you? How old am I now? I'm 38. Awesome. When did you find out that you had VEDS? Um, I officially found out when I was 36. So um, what's that, about a year and a half ago? Um, July 2018. Um, was when we got the official um, diagnosis. And um, how did that come about? Um, so it was a bit of a, <clears throat> a long process, I guess, um, not as long as some people's. Um, but in, I think it was November 2017, I ruptured um, my splenic artery and aneurysm on there, and um, I was pretty fit and healthy and and living a normal life um, <laughs> when it happened, and um, and they found a lot of other things sort of going on, and was like, well, that's kind of a bit weird. And um, about, and then I think it was eight months later, yeah, in July, that I got um, the official diagnosis. Can you tell me that, about that um, experience with the splenic <clears throat> rupture? Yeah, um, yeah. So, like I said, I was pretty. Um, I was really fit and healthy, and it was uh, it happened at night time. And my husband um, Michael was away um, on business that night, and um, he was just on his way home. And I was in bed, and I just felt this like sudden pop. I feel like um, in my in my belly, and I actually think I said out loud, like I was on my own, but I was like, "Oh, that didn't feel right." Um, and I went to the. I thought I was going to vomit, so I went to the bathroom, and um, that kind of didn't. I didn't. And then I. I think I collapsed. It was really hard to kind of, you know, like it all kind of a weird experience. Um, and my husband, thankfully, was on his way home and found me collapsed in the hallway. Um, and I honestly, I. I really just thought I had, like a really bad stomach virus or maybe a burst appendix if it was the worst, but I couldn't move. It was really painful. It's like probably the worst pain I've ever had in my life. Um, and I could, I, yeah, I couldn't get back up again. And he, he walked in and was like, Ooh, uh, you look, you don't look so good. <laughs> and he asked me, he's like, oh, should I, I remember him asking, should, should I call an ambulance? And I was like, normally I'm, you know, like, Oh no, no, I'll be fine. But I, Thankfully, was like, yeah, I think that might be a good idea. Um, and so went to hospital. Um, he stayed at home with the kids, and it was actually quite a few hours before they realised what was actually going on. Um, being a female, they asked the obvious, like, you know, are you sure you're not pregnant? Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, no, definitely not. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was pretty sick. I, I, yeah, I I wasn't very. It was a bit of a blur, but I 
I think I had x-rays and other examinations um, and I remember I had these junior doctors that were like oh, we don't really know what's going on and kind of shrugged their shoulders like eh. um, oh, yeah. and then I eventually went in for a CT scan and it was in the CT scan that I actually um, deteriorated and I couldn't breathe at all um, so like for those when, when it happens like it's like a really horrible heavy feeling like the, I guess the all that bleeding inside um, mm -hmm. makes it really hideous um, and the last thing I remember is them all these people kind of coming into the room and um, and I remember looking at the monitor and being like oh those numbers do not look good I think it was my blood pressure mm -hmm. and I'm um, shouting for a, a, a recess cart and blood and all this sort of stuff and and I remember being in a lot of pain and then all of a sudden just being not at all in pain. I think it was just that probably those last moments before I completely crashed out. Mm -hmm. And then I woke up in ICU a few days later. Wow. Yeah. That, that is so lucky that your husband was on his way home. Yeah. So I think I probably would have just eventually tried to make my way back into bed and I wouldn't be here mm -hmm. if, if he hadn't come home. So several months later, you, you got genetic test results that showed that you had vascular EDS. Yeah. And how did that feel? Um, because it was a really long process, I kind of dealt with it reasonably slowly in a way. So I had already by that stage decided that I had it, like when I you know, looking at all the information, doing research, everything started to kind of make a lot of sense mm -hmm. um, back at my history. Um, and interestingly, the geneticist, when I saw him, was like, oh, you know, you don't look like you have EDS. <laughs> it's like, um, okay. Um, <laughs> um, other than my um, old hands, apparently, I have really old-looking hands. Old lady oh, I hands. do too. Yeah, <laughs> no, no fat on them apparently, and and aged. Um, yeah, but when I the day that I, I remember the day that I got the call, and thankfully my mum and dad were actually here, mm. um, and I was fine on the phone. They 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 told me over the phone um, because obviously I'd already had gone through all the processes of having an appointment and everything. Mm -hmm. um, and then I had a meeting with them a little a couple of weeks later. But yeah, I I did cry. It was it was really hard. I guess that feeling of a life lost, if that makes sense. Like you're grieving the life that was and and what the future holds. And and it's it's really bizarre feeling being told you have something that's life threatening and um, you know could potentially shorten my life but at the same time not knowing is a it's a really bizarre feeling mm -hmm. I think um yeah yeah it, it was it's been hard yeah how have you coped with that like over like how has that changed for you over the last year and a half has that changed for you um from that initial feeling yeah yeah it's definitely been 
ups and downs and I mean I'm really lucky I have um, an amazing husband and family and my kids are awesome and and my mum and dad and siblings and things but um, having the support groups has been really helpful um, to process that but I think you go through these sort of um, what was life and what is life now kind of thing um, so yeah it, it's much better now I think you just have to get on with it like you just kind of like well this really sucks um, but you yeah. can't just sit around waiting because you know that's what they say to you right it's, a, it's just a watch and wait game Mm-hmm. But you can't just sit around um, feeling sad about it. And it's okay. Some days you do. Some days I have just those moments of what the heck is this? Why? And <laughs> why me and all that? But mostly it's just kind of like, well, you know, it is what it is. And, um, yeah, I think I just feel quite lucky that I've got really good supportive network. That's great. Yeah. So you said that it kind of made sense with your history. Um, Tell me more about that. Yeah. So um, like most people, a lot of unexplained bruising um, and spontaneous bruising. So if I look back, there were a few times that I'd been to the doctors because I'd had like massive hematomas from nothing that were incredibly painful. Um, I think, you know, one time I was just bending down, crouching down, and I felt, you know, that burning sensation in the back of my calf, and it really hurt, and then I had the biggest bruise there, and I'd just been crouching, so that was weird, and, you know, um, I dropped a slice of cucumber once on my foot, and I got the biggest bruise. It was literally just a little slice of cucumber. It was the weirdest thing, Uh, and, I mean, we used to laugh about it. It's like, oh, I just, you know, I'm so sensitive and fragile um, mm-hmm. and I spoke to mum and she was, said that I did bruise a lot as a child and I got a lot of those you know the little tiny just little tiny bruises and um, I got tested they took me for some testing but nothing it was you know not conclusive to anything mm-hmm. um, constant ear infections as a oh child my gosh me and, too yeah, like from two, so I was two weeks old when I saw a specialist um, for my ears and they ruptured and it was so fast all the time you know I would tell mum I had an ear and you know my ears felt funny or they were I used to say my ears were singing um, and then by the time she got me to the doctors they had already ruptured um, so constant you know, every year I think my ears ruptured yeah I um, had that problem I had um, ear tubes several yeah. times And it was like every time I had an ear infection, it was like ear infection, rupture. Yeah. Yeah. So fast. And it's so weird because it doesn't – I don't think doctors would connect that with feds. But talking to people or, you know, seeing on the group, there's a lot of people (laughs) who (laughs) have a lot of ear problems and I guess it makes a lot of sense. So that – so, uh, yeah, I didn't have really anything other than the, the spontaneous bruising. Mm-hmm. Um, and, if, you know, a few months before I had 
uh, before I ruptured my um, aneurysm, I had quite a few big spontaneous bruises, happen, uh, hematomas happen. Um, but again, you know, they, they do the standard blood tests, you know, just for bleeding disorders and things, and of course nothing comes up. So I had that. Um, I had two pretty normal pregnancies, because I'm very, very lucky, very mm -hmm. lucky to have children. Um, I tore quite badly in the first one, and in the second one, thankfully, I chose to have um, an elective caesarean, which um, is very lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know what would have happened if I'd actually tried to go through a normal birth, um, now that we know what we know. So you have two <laughs> daughters, right? My two daughters, um, Mercedes is 10 and Zaria is 8. And did either of them inherit it? Uh, yeah, so we got the girls tested um, a little bit after I got tested. So they actually didn't want to test the girls in New Zealand. They um, recommended that we wait till they were older. Um, but we just really felt that knowing what we knew, that it was important to just, you know, I just didn't want to wonder and be protecting them from something if they didn't actually have it. So we got them tested and Mercedes came back negative and my youngest, um, Zaria, came back positive. And what did that feel like? Yeah, that was, that was hard, but strangely it wasn't as hard as when I found out. I think because maybe I'd already realized or already read all the information and, and suspected. Mm -hmm. um, I think if Mercedes had have come back positive, I might have been surprised. I would have been really surprised. Whereas Zaria, we just knew she looks like she has beds. She's hypermobile. Um, you know, like her thumbs bend all the way back. It's so bizarre holding her hands. Um, you know, she's, she's quite pale, thin skin, all, all the kind of physical just things, um, mm -hmm. lots of DI issues. So yeah. Um, and it, it was hard as well, I guess. Um, there's a lot of guilt, I guess, that goes with knowing that you've given your child something um, that's so horrible. It really stink. Um, but I can't change it. So, you know, we've just done everything we can to prepare her um, without freaking her out. Um, so she knows she has it. Um, in a simple, you know, simple way. Mm -hmm. um, what do you do to to protect her differently than Mercedes? Um, well, we we had a meeting with school, so we've had to go into school and explain to them, you know, what she has um, uh, and what they would need to do should something happen. Obviously, um, with you know, they sort of say that it's not as um, likely to happen in a major event in a child, um, but it does happen. Um, she hasn't had anything significant, um, but we just, we haven't changed a lot really. We're still, you know, we have a trampoline, she's still allowed to go on that. Um, we just probably wouldn't let her do things like maybe gymnastics if she wanted to do that mm -hmm. um, as a you know, proper sport on really not 
not too much. We're just probably a little bit more aware if she says something's not right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, like she she fell off the bed and hit her head um, and got a massive lump. And we did end up t- having to take her to ER and just sort of sit around and monitor her with that. (laughs) (laughs) Totally fine. But, I mean, she does seem to get these massive um, bumps Mm -hmm. from something usually pretty minor. Um, And she has a lot of um, tummy issues that are kind of not really – nothing significant. We don't really know what's going on, but she just doesn't – do well on certain foods and just always has had a sore stomach mm-hmm. from really little. Um, so, yeah, I had those problems when I was a kid too. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's weird. It was, eh? Like it's really bad because <laughs> <laughs> there's no kind of answer to it. And when we used to take her to the doctors before all this, it was, oh, you know, she's just a toddler. It's just normal. Oh, it doesn't feel normal. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was sick all the time. And they tried, I think, I mean, I was on a very, I ended up on like a pretty restrictive diet because they said it was like acid reflux. But really, um, I guess they never really got an answer. The answer was that maybe her system is just slower than it should be. Yep. And so I was going to, I'd have to eat like three hours before I laid down and we had bricks oh. under the front of my bed and all of that stuff. And I still have had problems as an adult, yeah. but it hasn't been as severe as it was when I was a kid. It was bad. Yeah, so it's just kind of hurt from eating? Yeah, it would – well, I would get um, a sore stomach and then I would throw up mm. really often. I was, like, vomiting all the time. Ah. Uh, no, that's me. not good. No. <laughs> Does she get the severe stomach pain? Yeah, she doesn't always doesn't vomit as much as she used to. But yeah, she'll just be like, "Ow!" Oh, and you know, you you hear it in the night. She's just she's asleep, but she's moaning um, in the pain. Um, and we've we definitely noticed that if she eats too much bread or heavy kind of foods, mm-hmm. it's kind of like it just bruises her as it digests. Is kind of what I think, but I don't know. It's so you know they don't really know, and um, she does, yeah, vomit sometimes. Just she used to vomit all the time in the car. <laughs> it's so annoying. <laughs> um, yeah, you have no idea. Vomit in car seats is just disgusting. Um, yeah, <laughs> I did that to yeah. one of my uncle's car- cars when I was a kid. <laughs> I felt so bad. Yeah. It's like I was. It didn't quite make it out of the car. <laughs> I was almost there. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, it's pretty. Cool. Yeah, I I feel yeah. for her. I hope that I hope that that gets better as she gets older. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. We seem to have um be able to manage it ourselves now. She was on a lot of um laxatives, mm-hmm. but we found that they actually just were causing other issues. Um, the other way around. So um, we find that if she just eats a, a really clean sort of diet, less processed foods, and mm-hmm. we seem to manage it reasonably well. So at the moment anyway. So fingers That's crossed. Good. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> 
So do you have, do either of your parents have VEDS or are you the first in your family? No, I'm first. So as a de novo, um, yeah, both the, my parents were tested. We didn't think that they did because they're both um, in their 70s. Um, mm -hmm. So it seemed unlikely, but we did get them tested just more so that, because um, I have uh, two sisters and a brother. So, you know, wanting to make sure that if, if it was something that was passed down to me that, they could also be tested, but no, they, my parents both came back negative. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So you've mentioned New Zealand a couple times, the care there. Can you tell me like, what has it been like having VADS and being in New Zealand? Um, it's been good and hard. So I have had really great, um, doctors, um, particularly when, you know, when I was first in hospital and the fact that they um, they really pushed for um, for a diagnosis basically because they were like you know you're you're 35 years old you're fit you're healthy um, you shouldn't have aneurysms and um, torturous veins and, and you know all this sort of random stuff that they found so that in that sense they were really good um, but unfortunately in New Zealand there's no specialists we don't have um, you know, a VEDS team or one particular doctor who's um, sort of following anything to do with VEDS at all. Mm. Um, so that's been that that's been the hardest thing for me. Is I've had to like do a lot of research, and I've learned that you have to be your own advocate. And I think previous to that, you know, you go to the doctors, you say what's wrong, they give you a treatment, and you walk away. And that's what you're used to. But then when you get something like this, you suddenly realize that you have to actually be looking into stuff yourself and pushing for certain things. Um, so they have been really, really good, but they also sort of lack in, in other areas. Um, I had to set up my own kind of care team. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure like over there, but you know, you read all the information, it says you should have a care team. Um, and I did have one sort of situation that happened that was just really frustrating. Um, I had, had um, some issues with diverticulitis mm -hmm. and had been in hospital for it. And they sent me afterwards for a colonoscopy and Ooh. I was like, well, I'm not sure I'm supposed to have a colonoscopy. Um, I'm not sure it's safe. <laughs> so I spoke with my GP. I rang her up and I said, well, you know, they're sending me for this. And so GP um, is general, you know, your general doctor. Mm -hmm. um, they're sending me for this colonoscopy and I just don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> and I don't want to go because um, it's through public systems. So you don't meet with them first. You just prepare for the colonoscopy. Oh. And go in, and I don't know if you've had one before, or, but mm -hmm. you have to. It's it's horrendous preparing for it. <laughs> um, and she's like, oh, you know, they know your situation. And, you know, they would. You just need to go. And it's like, okay, are you sure? You know, I really want you to ring. And she was like, no, no, I'll be fine. So I took all that laxatives. <laughs> it was horrible. I went to the appointment. I took all the information about feeds because I was really concerned, and I felt. Just, it just didn't feel right, um, and I didn't think it was necessary as well. With you know, yes, I had had diverticulitis, but it you know it wasn't 
out of control. Um, so I went to this appointment and in the end they sent me home. And they were like, yeah, we don't feel very comfortable doing this um, now that we know what we know. <laughs> That's just, frustrating. I was, fuming. Yeah, I was fuming. I was so mad. I was still working at that point, so I'd taken time off work. Um, my husband had had to take time off work because they'd said, you know, you need someone else to drive you mm -hmm. home. Um, oh, I was just so mad. Um, so I went to the, uh, you know, a wee while later, I think it was a month later because it was nearly Christmas, I went to my GP with my husband and said, look, we need to we need to set something up here. You know, this that wasn't okay. It was annoying and I need a care team. I need to kind of know that I'm that I'm good, that I can come into you and that you're going to do what you need to do to help me. And she said, I don't feel competent to be your doctor. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, okay. Uh, and that was really, that was just super frustrating when you you know that was quite early on as well, so yeah. we were still dealing with everything and it was frustrating to have somebody that we felt should have been a support. Like I you know she wasn't terrible, but she yeah yeah. So anyway, she um she said I'll ask you know some of the other do younger doctors if they're keen to be your doctor. Nobody. Nobody in the practice wanted to be my doctor, and I'm not a difficult person. <laughs> like it's like it's not like I'm going there and ringing there all the time and being annoying. Um, they just didn't want to be my doctor, and I just yeah, that was really horrible. Um, wow, did you yeah. find somebody after that? Yeah, I did, and um, she's amazing. I'm really really lucky to. So I had to go to a different practice and kind of almost big in a way. For them mm -hmm. to take me on, I'm taking on new patients, and I'm out of their zone. It's not that far away, but um, so yeah, I found one, and she, the first appointment I went in, and she was just amazing. She said, "I don't know um, much about this, but we'll do this together. We'll hold each other's hand." What's her words? And I was just oh. like, "Yeah, that's all I asked for." You know, it wasn't that I was looking for. Um, someone to go and spend hours researching and, and things. It was just knowing that they were going to take take it seriously and mm -hmm. and advocate. Really, that that's really all it was. So I'm pretty happy to have her. She's yeah, she's pretty impressive. That's great. It's nice to hear. Like I don't know a lot about this, but I'm gonna learn. Yeah, like, yeah. There's something about that mentality that is so much more comforting uh, yeah yeah exactly we don't need them you know honesty is great um you know and they they don't know everything why would they if they've not had a patient with it but um just knowing that they're actually going to just be there is really nice and um i sent her an email um of the new website uh, is it the vids movement website mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and when I got to my next appointment, she was so excited about it. She'd um, she'd looked it all up, and um, she emailed the doctors. You know, they have the little bit for the doctors. She'd mm -hmm. already, you know, emailed, and I just thought, yeah, you're cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really awesome. Have you met anybody else in New Zealand who has beds? Um, I've met one um, lady. She's really lovely. Um, we've only met once. She she does live um, in Auckland or just outside of Auckland, 
but it's been hard to meet up. Um, and I know there's a few other people, but there's really not very many of us or many that I know of. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anybody out there, um, please contact me because it's, it's kind of lonely, eh, um, having this um, and not being able to talk to people in the same situation. Yeah. So if you were talking to somebody else who is just diagnosed, is there anything that you would tell them that you've learned over the last year and a half? Ooh, good question. Um, take it one step at a time um, is a good thing. I think that it's a process. You know, it's exactly like grieving for anything else um, when you find out that you've got something like this and because it's so confusing. And there's a lot of information out there, and some of it's really frightening. Um, but just take it one step at a time. Um, and then I think this guy that goes for everybody, really, like non beats people, but like live life, just live life, um, and nurture your relationships because you just don't know when you're going to go. And. Is there anything that if you were going back to the point where you were first diagnosed and you had the opportunity to talk to somebody else who had been through it, is there anything that you wish that somebody had told you? You know what I found, I don't know if this answers the question, but what I found to be frustrating, I guess, is when I was diagnosed was this overwhelming feeling of needing to do everything in life right now because all of a sudden you're, you know, the reality of I might die tomorrow is is put in front of you and you feel like I have to do everything. I have to do it right now and I have to live my life. You know, people that, you know, that kind of, Instagram thing at the moment, you know, live your best life. But you know what? Your life is your best life. You don't need to do amazing, crazy things. Does that make sense? You know, Mm -hmm. I think um, there's just that feeling that you have to do the best and it can be really overwhelming when actually just, just just live life. It doesn't have to be this crazy out there amazingness just just have fun um, and don't don't worry too much but you can't yeah I love that yeah yeah does that make sense it does yeah and I think that's similar to the way that I try to think about it hmm. because like I guess it's similar in that like I try to think of it as... I'm not going to regret what I didn't do. Yes. Because the decision I made to not do those things was the right decision when I made it. Yeah, exactly. And whatever I chose to do instead is what I needed at that time. Yeah. I think as well, make your own decisions because there's a lot of stuff out there and, you know, a lot of debate on things you should and shouldn't do. And I think it's a really individual um, decision. So I think that might be what I want someone to say to me is you have to make the decisions that are right for you. 
Um, you know, I love going bushwalking, not like totally bushwalking, but we have a few around here and for a while I wouldn't do them on my own because I was so scared that if something happened, um, maybe I'd be left there and I wouldn't get out of there because <laughs> often there's no reception in some of those places. Um, but now I'm just, I'm doing a little bit more of those things that I love doing because I realize that you need those things that you love to do and they're really important and it's kind of, um, I, I guess that's part of what we live with is having to make all these decisions all the time that you normally wouldn't think about. Um, you know, whether it's right to go on a walk on your own is a weird decision. Yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't be something you have to think about, but it is. Um, but I love doing that. It makes me feel um, it's good for my mental health. Um, I walk every day. I used to, um, so before I ruptured um, the aneurysm, I used to do uh, what we call booted exercise. Um, so that's like full on kind of army styles, running with 10 kg sandbags on my back. and Oh, like CrossFit. Uh, yeah, kind of like CrossFit, but a little bit, yeah, a little bit different. Um, and I loved it because I was so I guess like my journey was I always knew that something wasn't quite right with me so I'm always tired um, and even though I was eating healthy I just wasn't right and so I went on this really big journey of like being trying to get really super fit and um, and I loved it um, and I was really proud because I achieved all this stuff and there were certain things that I couldn't do and I struggled with like burpees I cannot do burpees and I always just thought it was because I was really unfit but now I know that it's all to do with the blood pressure and things mm -hmm. so I burpee and I get to the top and I'd have to like stop while my like head stops spinning and then do the next one and then I'd have to do the same thing again but so I used to do that and um, obviously I can't do that anymore not allowed yeah. <laughs> um, so now I, I walk every day and I think exercise is really important for our health. Yeah, it's an, it is. An, you said something really valuable there that is, it's really important to do things that you love. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, what some things have changed for me now and I can't do them um, because I'm actually not allowed to, um, but I found other things mm -hmm. um, that I love doing and um and that's really important. And sometimes there are things that are, you know, I do question whether they I should be doing them, but I have to just figure it out as I go. Really. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's like finding a new normal. But yeah, exactly. It's that new normal, um, and it's it's definitely a weird thing to live with. Mm -hmm. And then you know sometimes things happen and. I don't know about you, but I get like a lot of random pains. Yeah. It's like, oh, what is that? Like, do I need, do I need to be worried about that? Is that normal? I've always had lots of random pains, and I remember talking to my husband about it. I was like, oh, I always get, you know, that's normal, eh? Like, you get that. He's like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> that's always the weirdest feeling when you when you talk to somebody else about all of these things that you thought were like, you know, quote unquote normal. Yeah. And they aren't. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, yeah, it's just, but I just thought they were, you know. 
Um, I bet everybody felt those things. Yeah. Like I had, so a year before I ruptured, I had the most horrendous stomach pains. I should have gone to hospital now. Like now I look back, I thought, mm. you know, I was so unwell. But I just was like, oh, it's, you know, it's just a, some sort of a virus probably. Um, I don't know what it was. I might have been having a dissection or something. It was pretty bad. I, you know, thought I was going to pass out every time I had the stomach pain. But I just kind of was like, oh, you know, other people get stuff like this, surely. Um, but they don't. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, um, when I dissected my artery in my neck, my carotid artery, I thought I slept on my neck wrong. And the amount of pain that I was in, which was excruciating, was oh. what normal, like what people normally felt like when they yeah. slept on their neck wrong. <laughs> And the other day I slept on my neck wrong and I was like, oh, this is the feeling when you sleep on your neck wrong. Like this is totally more bearable <laughs> than that other feeling <laughs> that I ignored for two days. Oh. Um, but when you funny. think, no, and that's the scary thing with it. You know, there's so many people out there you don't know. We don't get diagnosed or it's very rare, right, to get diagnosed young. Yeah. You get diagnosed after a major event and for many people – that's death, um, and that that's really scary. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really thankful in a way that I, I mean, I shouldn't be here. I lost so much blood. Um, they they kept me open for a, few, a, a day or two because I wouldn't, I, you know, they couldn't stop the bleeding, so they just took me off to ICU, still open, wow. um, because they were in the, and they were trying to figure out why on earth they couldn't stop the bleeding. Um, so that was, yeah. That's so scary. A, a, yeah, really scary. And But the thing is, like, after that happened, I felt, so when I got out, I was in hospital nine days in ICU for about three days, I think. And I actually recovered really quickly, and, and I think because I was generally otherwise healthy. Um, but I felt like I was on this big high afterwards for months. I Like, I cheated death. So I was like really excited about life for a while. And I, when I first said that something else was going on, I, I, it didn't really mean anything to me. I was just like, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm alive. This is awesome. And I was so happy. And then, of course, you know, I guess after a while I started to look a little bit more deeply into what beds was. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, maybe that, that is um, making a lot of sense. But I was so excited about getting out of hospital and um, I was just so grateful for things that I didn't even, you know, that I took for advantage of really mm -hmm. um, before that. <clears throat> well, yeah. I'm very thankful for you coming on and sharing your story. You're welcome. Is there anything Thanks. that I missed that you wanted to tell the listeners? Um, I just want, um, I think it's important to, um, make connections with people and um, share our stories because I think it's really helpful. And, you know, one of the first things that I saw when I was searching things was you, um, was one of your um, blogs on your experience. I think you were still just kind of finding out and going through things. Um, mm -hmm. It was just so helpful. It was real. And, um, you know, all that medical information is important too, but actually just 
hearing people talking about what they're going through and realizing that you're not alone. And maybe that's what I want to say, is you're not alone. There, there's lots of us um, out there and we're all there for each other. And we might not have met each other, um, but there's this sort of deep connection there. There is, um, for sure, all across the world. Yeah, all across the world. And um, we're rare, but we're not that rare either. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you, everybody, for listening. This was Staying Connected, and this was Lucy's telling her story with vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. If you want to listen to more stories of other people with VEDS or if you are looking to reach out to other people, um, go ahead and go to translucent1.blog to find more episodes. And you can also go to the vedsmovement.org. That's the V-E-D-S movement.org to learn more about VEDS and find virtual support groups and everything. So um, thank you again, and I will talk to you soon.